I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Roy Sloan is the general manager of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. Yes, you heard me say that correctly. Wapiti in New Zealand is called Wapiti. And they have an elk herd that is now a hybrid herd between elk deer, elk and red deer. And that was gifted to them. 18 elk were gifted to them by uh, Theodore Roosevelt in 1905. And that started this herd deep in South New Zealand. Like you can't get any further south in New Zealand. Well, the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation has done a yeoman's job of preserving the environment, the New Zealand ecological habitat for its native fauna and flora, and really managing the deer herd for quality, as well as very much more importantly, the quantity of deer on the landscape and its impact on the environment. And that's how they've kept essentially the government out of their business, and is really a conservation success story that the world really does not know about. And so we're interested in telling that story. And the first step is for you to listen to Roy. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. What's, what's the weather like in... Uh, what's the typical greeting? Kiora, right? Kiora, yes. <laughs> it is, absolutely. Um, what's the weather like? So, I was born in Southland, and um, in Southland... We have a joke, one of our first sentences we're always taught is that the weather's fine in Southwood, the wettest part of the country. <laughs> so yeah, we always say it's fine here, even though it's raining. 
it's raining right now. <laughs> Let's just stop. Yeah. So, well, it's pretty good. It's um, middle of summer and um, we've been getting 25 to 30 degree temperatures, which is, um, which is good. But for us Southlanders, we like a cold night. Horrible when you can't sleep at night. It's got to be, got to be down to six degrees or four degrees or something like that. Hits us. Your houses are they? They don't have central air or central heat, right, Roy? No, they don't. So, um, don't really need it down here. So we have, um, we have heating room for the winters. And um, during the summer, you just open up the doors and windows and cross your fingers that it's not going to get too hot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like South Africa, in which I remember going to bed in South Africa and having like, you know, five or six blankets on the bed and having to go to school. You'd have a little blow heat and you'd you'd heat up each sock and put each sock on, you know. Um Yeah, yeah, it's um you get used to it and it's amazing uh I don't know if you've been living in the area too long, but uh, really look forward to a cold wet day when you put the fire on and Put, keep putting the wood in the burn it. It's um, yeah, it's comforting. And uh, but yet, yeah, you know, you look at the area where I uh, work in Fiordland, you know, we're eight meters of rain. So you get bits. What did you just say? Eight you meters. Just, did you just say eight meters of rain? Eight meters of rain. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm gonna convert that to inches because it's like thirty-three inches to a meter. All right, so 264 inches of rain. Yep, 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 so, yeah. Is it, like, I'm flabbergasted. It, it's almost like, do I don't know, I'd have to Google also, like, how many inches of rain does a topical rainforest typically get? Yeah, I'm not sure, but this is a, a this I'm going to Google it quickly. Method. Yeah, it's not warm rain either, and then, yeah. You got the snow and everything else that happens. I think on average it rains every three days. 80 to 400 inches in a tropical rainforest. Right, yep. And in Fort Fiordland, New Zealand, 264 inches. Yep. Is, I, I'm assuming to hunt in a place like that must be like walking through a jungle. Yeah, so we we it's funny because Fielden, you know, we're we're from um, sea level to about five five and a half thousand feet in height, and um, it's just basically uh, it's a great big rock with a a few inches of um, foliage over it. So we call it the Amazon on top of the Himalayas. So it's gone right there. That uh, you know we we have rivers that can raise rise meters overnight and then the next day to back to normal again. It's just, um, it's built for weather, built for rain. You just said something that I want to take a note on. Um, the Amazon on top of the Himalayas. Yeah. I think that's what we should title this episode. People will be like, what the hell are you guys about to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That might have been that might have been written by me, but um, it explains place. So. Hey, I would claim it. I would claim it. <laughs> yeah. Roy Sloan, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, my friend. Yes. 
Good to be here. Um, you know, we're always interested in talking to different people, diversity of people all around the world, and there's uh, there's hunting happening everywhere around the world, and the more our community sort of engages different circles, the more people are enlightened to different things happening around the world, and I think that a lot of people would be surprised at the fact that there is a very good quality elk herd in New Zealand. Correct or not correct? Yeah, so, um, you know, they've been here 100 years now, or over 100 years, um, and we have, a, we have another species that's in the area called breed deer, and, of course, they, they, they hybridise. So pretty much the air species in, in field, and we quite call them field and wapiti, because they've actually the crossbreed over the years with red deer, but um, certainly, um, you know, there's some reasonable trophies coming out of there now. We manage them, but um, yeah, it's an adventure with it too, so it's a, it's a package deal. Is it wapiti or wapiti, Roy? Yeah, what well, comes from, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Wapiti in Southland. That's Wapiti. Yeah, that's where. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Correct. What is, where, when you say Southland, uh, Roy, give us a little bit of description geography wise. Like, what is Southland? Where is Southland? Yeah. So you got New Zealand, and, and most people know Auckland in New Zealand, um, being at the top of the North Island. We're right down the vital. Um, and Southland kind of borders Fjordland. And if you walk off the edge of Fjordland, you're in the Tasman Sea. So, and um, you can't get much further south. Something we're proud of. It is the south tip of the South Island. Yep, yep, yep. And give us the history of how did elk actually get to to New Zealand a hundred years ago. Yeah, so they were released in uh, New Zealand in um, 2000, uh, 1905, sorry. And, <laughs> yeah. and ironically, they, uh, back then, you know, our forefathers, um, if, you, if you're a hunter, gave us a gift. If you're, um, if you're really a non-hunter, probably wasn't such a gift. But, um, yeah, there was around about 80 animals given to the New Zealand people by uh, then the President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. And they, they originated from Yellowstone Park, ironically. Wow. Um, you know, and they were chucked on a ship, shipped to New Zealand, um, and they were released in the place called George Sound in um, Fjordland. And... I was I can't imagine being grabbed from Yellowstone, chucked on a ship and then thrown onto land where there's eight meters of rain. That must have been I'm not too sure the the rainfall is in um Yellowstone, but it must have been quite fright for them. And yeah, it's, back then, you know, we we're in a different world. We had all sorts of species sitting here country. Um red deer already here. I think um at about the same time. We had um, white tub, um, Virginian, we, there we call it, New Zealand, released in two places in New Zealand. 
And then just a little bit later, um, just around the corner from the Wapiti, we had moose released. And um, wow. yeah, they, they struggled for survival for all their life and to the point where um, there hasn't been a moose sighted since around about 1970. Uh, there's still the moose, we believe, in there. There's, um, it's, it's a vast, vast area. And I've healed Has Park anyone is, seen any moose sign at all lately? Yes. So there's been here picked off, here was picked off trees and there's been DNA. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it's just vast bush It's country. like Bigfoot, man. Imagine coming across a moose in New Zealand. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> there's always a bit, of a bit of a conversation that always happens is that what would you do? Would you, you shoot at the proof there's one there? Would you, you could be the devil if you did. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's quite a, quite a lot of um, people who actually still chase them just to find it and prove that they're there. You know, there's, there's, still, there's still sign to them. Um, their browsing was completely different than anything else we have in New Zealand and certainly they had to spoil their, their footmarks and that are completely different as well. So something's doing that in there. It's not loose, it's, uh, yeah, something else. <laughs> so, yeah, do so you have, do, do we have historical records of how many elk got put on the ship and how many elk made it? You said 80 made it, 80 got released. 18, 18. So, uh, oh, 18 got released, not yeah. 18. Yeah, yeah, 18. Um, I think most of them made it, to be fair. It's, it's pretty, um, the records are a little bit um, hazy. Um, there might have been one or two who didn't make it, but um, yeah, I think there was a, the gift was a half that amount, and uh, New Zealand being called the Globalisation Society um, got another. Eight or uh, ten from somewhere else. So yeah, they were released as the corporate. Do we know? Did do we have any records or transcripts of like why TR decided to gift these eight elk? Was it political? Was it like almost a little altruistic to say I want to hunt elk somewhere else in the world, and so I'm going to give <laughs> New Zealand eight, you know, eighteen elk? Do we do we have any record of like the why? Yeah, the, the, I'm pretty sure I had, and myself not being an historic type person, uh, um, it was a bit of a swap, I believe. So, um, you know, around, and native birds were going around the world and, and other species as well. So um, I believe it, it was a bit of it was a gift, but at the time there was some um, other stuff crossing the ocean in terms of native birds, I believe. So today, uh, you are the executive director of the Fiordland Wapiti Foundation, and why? Why does? Why do you even need a foundation for this species, um, Roy? It's it's almost like shouldn't we just shouldn't they just be there kind of scenario? And just like every other species in New Zealand, you've got red deer, you've got tar, you've you've already said you've got whitetail, you've got chamois. You got psychedelia. You've got. I don't know if you have sambar. Do you have sambar in yep, New Zealand? Yep, sambar. Yep. Yeah, sambar. Yep. You have a bunch of other deer that just hang out and procreate, and people hunt them. Why the the need for a, a specialized foundation around these guys down south? Yeah. So, so what we have, and, and I guess to explain that, we need to talk about the whole deer picture in New Zealand. 
yeah. one thing we we have in New Zealand is that you know we talk about deer management around the world, and, and most people are managing deer as a native species. Right. So, um, in New Zealand, we manage them as an introduced species, and, mm. and you know we only have one mammal, native mammal in New Zealand, and that's a bank. Yeah. Which is about the size of a, a golf ball, or half the size of a golf ball, as we think. And the rest of the species are birds. And, um, you know, historically we had large um, bush country and, and high tops with fucking country that these birds basically lived in. We, we also um, introduced these deer who, like, I mean, like too many people. There's too many people in one place. They they cause um, damage and, and um, damage our native bush and damage our tussock country and stuff like that. Right, so, right. So our deer need to be managed to a to a level where um, our native bush or our tussock land can, um, I guess, survive. And you know that we don't have any natural predators in New Zealand. Other than humans on deer, so the deer absolutely left alone, just explode in numbers. And and then we have the Wapiti in Fiordland. So Fiordland, um, one point two million hectares, um, of national park, and it's a World Heritage Park as well. So if we just talk about the Wapiti and managing Wapiti numbers. You know, as as a, a foundation, if we were here, those deer would be left to be managed by, um, I guess, nine hunters, and with nine hunters managing deer, I guess their objectives and outcomes are completely different than hunters. Um, you know, we have legislation and law that says that, um, as far as possible, our introduced species, as in deer, chamois. Etc. Etc. Should be exterminated, but the reality is, is that you know they can't be exterminated. They right. live here in vast bush country, vast environments. That um, the only way for them, for future for them in New Zealand, is them to be managed. So, so here we are. We've got the Wapi Foundation, who was the first foundation to be set up in New Zealand to manage a species. Um, of introduced species. So, Fjorda National Park, um, you know, it talked about, um, it's a World Heritage Park. It's, okay. It's the number one, number one bit of conservation land in New Zealand. It's the crown jewels, really. So, if we didn't manage them or we didn't set up a foundation who, who goals were to enhance or, and protect the, the Wapani, there would be this wide-scale indiscriminate killing. Um, They'll be shooting as many as they can, where they can, just to reduce the numbers right down to um, a level where um, Wapi would not survive. Would this be both government and recreational, or, or, or mainly government? It would be mainly government and, um, I guess, the non-hunting organisations I'm talking about, people who don't believe there should be introduced species in New Zealand. Um, and that could be done in a variety of ways. It could be done with 
um, helicopters, which is tends mm-hmm. to be the the tool for the job, or it could be done using a large scale poisoning. Um, but the reality is, is that the only way to manage deer in New Zealand it is actually to manage them. So manage their numbers, and by managing their numbers, you manage their quantities, which actually um, it has an interest from hunters to hunt them, which brings money into the game. And, you know, if you look at the Federal Wapiti Foundation, we basically set ourselves up not only to manage the deer as a species, but actually to manage them um, for environmental impacts as well. So if we were to manage them for environmental impacts, so we actually did the killing of the deer if the population got too high or the quantity got too low. Right. In effect, we're actually managing the quantity of the deer and also mm-hmm. the environment they live in. So it's a whip for, you know, if we look at where these wapiti are, the fjordans, it's not big pastoral lands, it's um, low quality alpine and bush country where we need the deer to be at a low density because so there's enough food in there to grow those big wapiti heads, antlers that we like. But also, it actually adds value to conservation as well. So, it, it, you know, we need the tussock lands um, producing good, healthy tussock. We need the forest to be producing good, healthy forest and so on and so on, right down to the herbs. And, and you know, I think... Um, and you, and you're, so what you're saying is you need browsers. You need some sort of browsing and grazing yep. in there, right? Historically, we had a, a thing, a bird called a mullet, which was a biggest biggest bird on earth at the time, you know, we got mowers who, they were like a big ostrich, a big ostrich. Yep. They were the weight of a death. You know, these things were yeah. uh, several hundred kilos. And so they were a browser species as well. So, you know, the foundations were set up to, to solely focus on an individual herd or an individual area. And if we didn't, and Money's pretty tough to in New Zealand to get to manage deer. Um, so foundations sole focusing upon those singular outcomes or from these herds, it is the way forward. You know, they they're not fighting a political battle for red deer, for tail, for everything else. Mm-hmm. But their success actually adds adds to that as well. So we looked upon as probably the number one. Um, of the lead organisation in New Zealand to be managing deer is the Wapi Foundation, and everybody so else. So Roy is- would, and I totally agree with you. I think that's what I've heard come out of New Zealand too. I think you guys are doing an amazing job, um, and you've been in it. For, you've been in the game for a long time. Does the formation of the foundation and the and the sort of the 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 reach that you have sort of over the fjordlands, does that do you think that that is saying that's saying to the government, we've taken care of it. We're taking care of densities of deer. We are managing it. You don't have to come in and take and do your culling through aerial and poisoning means. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So to to the point where now you know if you looked at we've been gone almost twenty years, and in the twenty years we've been undertaking deer management in the Wapiti area at, at a um, higher quality level than 
the Department of Conservation, who is the government in New Zealand, have undertaken anywhere else in the country. So we've not only um, lead in that space, now we actually um, were a part of the we're, we're a part of the white chat. So when there's there issues around New Zealand and, and currently there's a bit of money there to deal with their issues, we're actually brought around the table for for advice. Um, so we're actually looked upon um, as a group who are, um, are actually managing an area and and actually achieving what they set out to do. So nationally, yes, um, and I think we've got an election coming up next year in New Zealand, and already um, I think I've had half a dozen politicians from other parties come to us and, and want to see how we've achieved what we've achieved and how can you know things change from the political aspect to help us and aid us because we're actually seeing, you know, this is probably the future of managing deer in New Zealand is what the Fuel and Wapi Foundation are doing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I know Cam Speedy with the Seeker Foundation is yep. probably emulating what you guys are doing. Um, you know, we have the Tar Foundation set up to think about the same things. Um, yeah, I think people are getting more and more astute to the blending and let me let me see what your reaction to this is the blending of recreational hunting and management hunting yeah um yeah so i know it's spoken to cam but um i guess we've been we've been preaching that for 20 years so um and what's hopefully is happening in new zealand at the moment is is people are people were starting to catch on with that, that that is only the only way forward for us as a hunting um, body of people in New Zealand going forward is that blending. And also that blending must involve conservation for our native species and native forest as well. So it's a kind of hybrid, a hybrid um, outlook for the future deer. So talk to me about that, that added element of conservation, because I know that that's a major component of what you guys are doing. A lot of people in New Zealand are doing. People would hear the Fiordland Wapiti Foundation. You're managing deer. You've got a draw system, a ballot system for people to go in. There's age restrictions on antlers. It's very much like an American hunting system, draw system setup. But you've added an, an, an additional element to you, which is almost stewardship, right? Stewardship yep. of the land, stewardship of yep. the people, stewardship of the forest. Tell me about that. Yeah, so, so we've kind of reversed the whole um, outlook on what we're doing from our perspective. So, so what we do was we've you know we talk about you guys talk about game management over there. We actually talk about um, environmental management. Same thing said differently, but it captures the imagination of Kiwis more, New Zealanders more. So, so what we do is, is we look at, right, we're managing deer in fjordals, but our number one objective is to protect the environment. So, so that's kind of what we're doing. If, I mean, you know, you would have heard this a million times in your lifetime around, you know, if the, if the environment in the mountain fails, it will take generations for it to revive. But if I heard deer, uh, file, and you can actually 
it only takes several years to bring it back to, you know, mm. trophy potential, whatever that may be. So yeah. we actually take that seriously, and that's what we live by. So our, our number one objective is to manage the environment and the impacts that deer have on the environment. By doing that, we're actually providing, um, a, we've provided food and quality food to grow a, a high-quality herd of trophy deer because they need that as well. And, and the spin-off is, is that um, is hunters, uh, um, hunters are paid to hunt the area and all that money back goes into conservation to help us with that number one objective, protect the environment. But by doing that, the Wapiti herd has, has never looked so good in, in probably 50 years. Um, their bulls are, are getting more tucker, growing bigger antlers, everywhere antlers. And also, we also undertake other conservation projects in there. Like we talk about their deer management is a conservation project in itself. Sure, sure. Um, but we also have um, predator lines where we protect and native species in terms of, you know, we have blue ducks who are a unique blue duck that live in their fast flight waters. We have all sorts of other species that here, kiwi, that we're actually put a lot of time and effort into. So we, we're kind of offering the country a package deal. And in that package deal, hunters get to hunt a, a healthy quality herd of deer. And that's the future in New Zealand. That's probably the only way forward. It, it, and now I talked about a hybrid of, of controlled deer numbers and trophies and, and conservation. That's the hybrid. Tell, tell people who may not be familiar with it, what are these predator lines that, that you refer to? Yeah, so we have these, we have these little cold things in New Zealand which are introduced as well, <laughs> like all of us in New Zealand, even us humans. Um, they're called stoats. They're... Oh, you know, they're, they're a bit like a, a stoker, and then there's a ferret, and it, you know, they're, they're kind of those muscular, mm-hmm. well, those... Is it bigger than muscular. a weasel? Yep, yeah, we also have weasels. So the weasels are smallest, stoats a little bit bigger, and then the ferret a little bit bigger again. And okay. Incredible little things. They're just killing machines. And, um, you know, if you get... Yeah, and they did not have guns, because men are good at it. <laughs> and... Um, you know, we see them from sea level to snow level at 5,000 feet. These things are incredible. Um, they have a mechanism that allow them to, um, to breed when um, there's a lot of food around to have extra litters, more kittens, and that's the litter, the young. So they, they kind of adapt to the environment over here. It, and the only really thing for them to eat are, are rats. So when rat population gets lowly, they start hobbling into or eating our native birds. And man, they they have probably they're a number one threat to our native birds in New Zealand, us stoats. Yeah. And we've found ways to suppress their numbers, but we haven't found ways to wipe them out. Um, so what we do in Fjordland and, and all around New Zealand is that the probably number one way to to suppress the stoke numbers is we have these boxes which actually have um, just traps in them. So the traps basically uh, like a small bear trap, I guess, or whatever you, know, you guys would have them, we use them from. Um, they, 
we have to check them once a month. Um, they we have them on about hundred hundred um, meter spacings, and um, we put put bait in them and uh, basically try and catch um, stoats and rats. Rats is another. What kind of bait are you using, Roy? Yeah, we they're amazing big little critters because if you if you have a crack at them and you miss them or scare them, you never get enough go at them. So. We're always adapting, so at the moment we have eaten a hen's egg in there because they love eggs, and we have a bit of, bit of rabbit meat or uh, um, or something like so that, and we try with all sorts. It's amazing what people do to try and catch stoats. You know, there's, there's people, people just live it. You know, they tie a rabbit to a string and tie it to their belt while they're walking around the traps and they're dragging this rabbit behind it. And then you got stoats hopefully follow the scent and you know it's just yep, yep. You know, it's no different than trapping anything else. So we have them in Fjordan with the help protect our our um native species. And it's a a big effort to do them. You know, we have them in five river catchments and um we gotta we gotta fly to the head of them and then it takes a person about twelve hours to walk each line. So we, we do that each month. Also, we have other projects where we work with like-minded conservation groups with their name Tier, which is Alpine Para. Uh, so we invest a lot of energy in the conservation, and um, it, and I guess that's part of it. That's the part of the survival to be in this space in New Zealand. Yeah. Do you guys have down there? You have rats and weasels, and do you have any feral cats down there? Yeah, we're not so bad, but we are fielded, but we have feral cats. I heard a I heard a number, that, and this is not exact numbers, but I heard a number that you know there's, there's about two million pet cats in New Zealand. There's about seven million feral cats in New Zealand, and uh, these, these things are just adapted hunters. They're just incredible, and they seem to be getting bigger generation to generation. We have Stuart Island, which is a, a small island with with white tail on. And I hunt that a lot. And, and um, gee, the cats over there, you see a, a native kiwi, you see a deep cat track behind it, trapping it. And um, yeah, they just they just saw the stuff. And that's it's a, amazing that's a political I've, battle. I've so. seen, yeah, yeah, it, it is a super political battle, right? You think that wolves are a controversial issue or feral horses here in the United States? Just get the cat ladies involved. Oh. Uh, for, oh man <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, look and you know if you look at New Zealand you know we're 5 million people and we're probably three quarters of them are urban people and you know you have all those urban people who uh, have a pet, pet kitty and try to tell them that they've got to go man I would like to fight that battle Roy what is the challenge what you know how long have you been the executive director of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation? Yeah, interesting development is, is that, you know, we look at New Zealand and, and um, most stuff's done with the smell of the morning rag, which is um, kind of the same when we hear what gets done for free and, and, and you know, just get the job done. So I've, I've, um, I've been part of the Wapiti Foundation and kind of helped initiate this their latest um, program with, um, you know, with the Wapi management 
strategy that we have right now. So I kind of got that going. Yep, wow. Yeah, I was one of the ones that got that going. Then I put... How long, do you, how long have you been involved in the forging? 20 years. Maybe that's a better years. question to start with. Yep. So 20, 20 years. years. So, yeah, so I've been a volunteer of probably average 30 to 40 years a week on, as a volunteer on the Field of Wapiti Foundation for 20-odd years. Wow. Yep. So I kind of I come for a full circle and the, the foundation's in a good place and and um, being a Kiwi, I love rugby, and um, I played rugby most of my young adult life, um, and wrecked my body doing it. So I kind of got away from it just then. And at that stage, got tangled up in the Wapiti Foundation, and I always wanted to get back to coach rugby. And anyway, this year I got back coaching rugby, and and um, thought actually I love this. I think I've done my work for the for the Wapi Foundation, and I also involved nationally, being on the annual well, the annual the Game Animal Council, uh, and Great. various other bits and pieces over the years for that battle. So I I said to the team that I think we're in such a good space, you need to go out, employ somebody. What's happening in New Zealand, and, and I guess it's probably potentially worldwide is that, you know, in New Zealand, a lot of things are run by volunteers, but something's happening in that volunteer space where people seem to be tied poor. Parents are mm-hmm. working more to make a living for their families and getting less time to be with their families. So now boy, volunteer groups in New Zealand struggling. It, and, you know, hence we have the Wapni Foundation who have a unique... Um, a neat job to do in the bottom end of New Zealand, away from the main, uh, um, well, this is the lucky thing, away from the big population of the country. Um, right. You know, in, in Southland, there's about 150,000 people, and we're probably one of the biggest provinces in the country, or it's, in terms of size. So drawing old people to be involved with us, because we need hands on people, um, you know, plenty of people want to be involved who could turn up to a Zoom meeting and stuff like that, but we need hands on. So we, we um, got ourselves in a good situation where we've taken the risk in employing a, a general manager. No one teaches on earth that that general manager was ever going to be me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a very passionate guy. Um, I'm very, I'm very productive guy. Um, a very active mind. <laughs> I think the, I scared the, I scared the team sometimes when I come up. But um, so I, I thought it was time for me to stand down. And what happened over that that period of probably six months when I'd made that decision, um, and said to the team, "This is what you need to do." It was quite. I had time to reflect. Really, uh, my coach rugby, um, and over that time, like I, I thought actually. I still like this. I, I have some, have some value to add. Um, if I look mm-hmm. back at all the stuff I wanted to do over the last twenty years, there's probably a a, um, a glass full of stuff that I was enabled to do, but I got probably a, a bloody a huge load of stuff that I couldn't do due to time or financial or bits and pieces. So, um, yep. 
so I, the guys um, pestered me to, to see if I would um, be interested in the role, and, and I kind of initially fought that. But then at that period of time when I was off, off coaching rugby, I had time to reflect, and yep, I'm still there, love the job, have some stuff that I want to do and need to do, so I'm back as junior manager of the Walker Foundation. Roy, what is, um, if you look forward into 2023, into 2024, what do you see as your greatest challenges when it comes to fulfilling the mission that you, you guys really want to do? Yeah, so, so where the challenge has changed is the same as it was 20 years ago. So our initial, their objective, we must control the numbers and fuel loads. We haven't got a, we haven't got a, um, I guess, a population of people who fully understand um, the benefits of having a, a deer herd in fuel and anywhere else. We are due against a, um, a group of um, conservationists who have budgets of 10, 10 to $12 million just to fight a political battle in the media. We, again, we have tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so to, to, that's where our challenge is, is to actually uh, continue doing their work but actually have good stories to tell. So, you know, yep. we at Fjordan have a good story to tell because we're backed by science. So when you can, when you can stand on your high, on your pedestal and say that actually this is what we're doing in Fjordan, science says that what we're doing in Fjordan is, is good, and we have a story to tell that actually nobody can dispute it. We've got to have more stories like that in New Zealand. So one of the things that, that uh, one of my personal um, objectives is to, I talked before about um, urban New Zealand, and urban New Zealand is getting bigger. People are leaving the country and living in the cities. Um, I don't know why, but they seem to be doing that. And we, our challenge is to educate those people. So... A part of our deer management and fuel of it is that um, we, we, we remove around about 1,200 wapiti crossbreeds a year or red deer a year out of the wapiti area. That venison, we, um, we used to export it overseas and, and it was kind of a self-perpetuating market where that come back and paid for our management. So during right. COVID, all that crashed. Uh, export markets crashed. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of people around New Zealand who were living in fear because they had been in markets crash and their deer populations start to increase. But funny enough, it, and I guess this is the, the Wapni Foundation, this is why we've been uh, quite successful. We saw some opportunity and personally got quite excited about we've lost our overseas venison markets. So it was... Here's an opportunity for us to sell our venison internally in New Zealand, not only internally in New Zealand. We wanted to go into Auckland and Wellington and all our big cities. We wanted to go into these big cities with our story as a, and I guess as a vehicle to be able to tell our story that um, what we're doing in field and, you know, around conservation, around 
um, day management around um, about this um, mental health and everything else because, you know, that's a story behind our hunting as well. We, we talk about all sorts of other things that are going on around the world. You know, hunting is, is a hell of a healthy sport, so that must be told as well. So here is the foundation, our, our goal in, in the short term is to um, use that vehicle to tell that story internally and and of course here we're talking to you so you know any didn't you guys get... give a, 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 a an amazing amount of venison away to to people who needed it yeah so again we talked about opportunity and, and you know we, we looked at COVID so um you know during COVID all of a sudden we had people couldn't work and bits and pieces and you know, New Zealand as a country just, just astounds me. You know, we have 5 million people. We are, I wouldn't say we're hugely, we're, we're a well-off country. We have huge access to protein in New Zealand, but we still have starving families around New Zealand, you know, for various reasons. And, and we have these places yeah. called food banks who give food away to these families. So we kind of got together and, and thought, actually, our market, export market for our venison had collapsed. So could we come up with a, um, a way to bring that venison out? And we're just making the basic, um, we call it mitts, mitts up, you know, very good mitts, I think. Um, and so we, we'd done that, and we actually gifted it to, to all the um, food banks around New Zealand who wanted it. And yeah. we, we gave them tons of it. And... Um, yeah, it was rewarding, but I tell you what, it was humbling. It, it, the stories we got back from it um, made me made me ashamed to be human. Actually, at times, you know, um, here we have the resources that we can help these people with, and it's just so hard to do it. We make it hard instead of easy. So we gave that uh, that venison, wapiti venison, which is um, I believe the best venison you can get is wapiti venison, um, to food banks around New Zealand. Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story, and it, it happens everywhere in the world. Um, we're just terrible at telling our own story, Roy. Oh, we're terrible at it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you said what you said, because we're going to help. Blood Origins wants to help, and the people that support us want to help. And so we're going to come and we're going to tell a part of the story. Number one. Has to. And we're going to, we're going to put it on the biggest stage we possibly can. The other thing we need to do is we just need to rent a theater in Auckland once, the, once, the, once we, whatever we build and just invite a bunch of people in Auckland to see the great work that you do. Number yeah. one. Number two. And then number, number, number two or three or whatever it is. Um, you sent me a budget on some things that you needed funding for this year, right? Yes, yes. We're gonna take we're gonna take care of some of it. Um, I've run the numbers, and uh, we're looking forward to helping you. Oh, so, well, yeah, I mean, that's, financially, that's our biggest. I guess we talked about employing a junior manager, and it's a a big jump that we've made um, as a as a group. So. You know, we've got other organisations in New Zealand who um, who have employees. I think I think there's 
I can count on one hand how many employees are in the hunting section in New Zealand. But we're a little bit unique than other groups. We've, we've self-funded. So yep. we have had government money or anything like that. So, so we scrap for every, every dollar we can get. We're very resourceful. So absolutely, that's bloody, that's heart with it. Yeah, we're excited. Um, and obviously, we'll be in New Zealand uh, at the end of April. Cool. So hopefully, we get to shake our hand and maybe share a helicopter ride and do some cool stuff. Absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. So, that, yeah, we're available. And the Wappy Foundation has got this new bloody, new shiny-ass bloody manager there now. So um, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be doing something. <laughs> Yeah, we've yeah. got to get him. We've got to keep him busy somehow, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, brilliant. Roy Sloan, it, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and, and getting to know the great work that you guys are doing. And I can't wait to showcase your efforts um, across you know, our platforms and really think hard with you about how we can tell your story in, in, in a much larger way uh, because you guys are doing amazing work. Yeah, and so, you know, you said there, the, uh, I talked to, groups and they said oh tell us your story two years later we're sitting there you hardly just touch on it so it's 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 condensing things out how the people best understand what's going on and and, and that's i guess that's the skill of telling it isn't it exactly exactly but roy it's been a pleasure thank you my man brilliant enjoy well that's it for today appreciate you listening as always Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.